Hello, powerful beings, and welcome to the I Am Sovereign podcast. This is a podcast to remind you, embolden you, empower you to remember the sovereignty that you were born with, the sovereignty that you are, and the sovereignty that we must walk in right now in this time in our lives. So, warrior up, angel up. Lighten up, goddess up, God up, all of it up so that you can stand in the truth of your sovereignty right now, right here, today. So relax, chill, and enjoy this episode that we have for you on the I Am Sovereign podcast. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to today's episode of the I Am Sovereign podcast. And today we're going to be talking to Charlotte Louise Taylor. <laughs> L-M-H-C. I forgot it. I forgot it. Close. I forgot it. I was close. so close. What is it? L-C-M-H-C. Okay, which just means she's a badass and she does a lot of work with ther- with, in therapy with clients in, in regards to sex therapy. And so that's what this conversation today is going to be about. It's going to be about sexuality and Charlotte's journey into becoming a sex therapist and just like her unique way and the medicine that she gives to her clients and just kind of how we all move through this in this time of 2020 when everything is changing especially the way that we connect with each other sexually which is always changing regardless of a pandemic so charlotte if you would like to let us know first what those letters actually mean that would be a great start and anything else that you want us to know um just in in the realm of who you are okay yeah so i'll start with a like crotchety old person complaint which is that my letters used to be just lpc which stands for licensed professional counselor uh and then the board in north carolina decided to change it to lcmhc which stands for licensed clinical mental health counselor and there's no difference except for that like people had to go poor people had to like go buy new signs for their offices and new websites because they were like whatever, whatever, LPC. The board is terrible at receiving paperwork and getting it done in a normal amount of time. So why would they do this to themselves and us? So anyway, (laughs) I'm, I'm a licensed uh, therapist. I am on, I have to be careful about the way that I say this for legal reasons, but I am on track to become a certified sex therapist if all the pieces fall into place correctly i do all my hours i get all my supervision i've been to school here's what i can definitely say i have been to school at university of michigan in a sex therapy program um, that was a year long and and covered all of the bases to be able to be a sex therapist officially um as far as education goes so then there's still requirements in terms of hours and supervision yeah so the the licensure uh path the licensure path and like i appreciate i started out on in a non-licensure although i was a a life coach and i did do a, a coaching program where i got fully certified it just fucking appeals to me the like you're you've gotten the thing um but i i really appreciate how um 
a lot of forms of therapy of therapy and therapy certifications are gatekeeping to the profession that costs a lot of money. Um, just because people make it through those gates does not necessarily make them a better helping professional than people that are not licensed. It just happens to be something that feels important to me. Yeah. yeah. I like I like the ways in which things are regulated um, and more and more is coming into the coaching field, which has been needed for the last decade. But um, the licensure process for becoming a licensed mental health professional, be it a substance abuse counselor or anything like that, um, it is, you have to do that supervision. You have to have all of the hours, all of the sign offs, like you are being watched for at minimum two years. <laughs> yeah. So it's very important. I think it's very important. And just because you do all of those things doesn't mean that you're a healthy therapist. Um, so it's like the distinction between like, you can have all of those things checked off, but you still have to be taking care of yourself and doing all the things for you to be able to be like a clear and healthy vessel for other people. Um, yeah, I think that's very true. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, as we jump into it so much more, I'm so excited. What does sovereignty mean to you? So sovereignty means to me the ability to know yourself, including all of the parts that maybe are harder to know or it would be easier to not look at or not see or not embrace knowing yourself enough to know how you can interact with the other sovereign nations of the world, sort of like, um, aka other people, right? Uh, you, can, <laughs> you can kind of go blind to what it is that is happening within yourself um, and just interact with people from that, or you can truly kind of know what your thoughts and feelings and needs and wants and boundaries um, are and then come from that to be able to interact with other people. I think that and, and, and the interacting with other people is a necessary part of being human. So sovereignty does not necessarily mean to me, I don't need anybody else. It yeah. just means I come to a place of needing from knowing myself. Mm, I love that. I love that. And in that, it's like the medicine of sovereignty supports and like severing the toxicity of codependency is what I heard. Yeah. The definition. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So Charlotte, what led you down this path of becoming a sex therapist of all the things in the world? You're like, yeah, I'm going to do this. <laughs> right? <laughs> I know it still can be an edge for me to for people to be like, yeah, tell me about your profession. And depending in, on what setting, you know, some settings I'm like, can't wait to talk about how I'm a sex therapist. That's the first settings, thing you told me. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you can handle it. Uh, and then other places I'm like, I'm a therapist. And people are like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, you know, relationships, stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> but no, it is, I mean, much like becoming a therapist, because going on my own self-care self and self-discovery journey was so important to my life, becoming a sex therapist was because going on my own 
uh, journey of identifying who I was sexually has been a big part of my life. Um, and, and coming from a family that's very accepting, very liberal, very, um, it's kind of like non-judgmental for the most part, as much as families can be, you know, we have our values and we, there are family systems that, that, that set those up as important, but mostly non-judgmental. And still it took me 30 years to experiment with sleeping with women. It took me so long to accept that I was kinky. It took me, uh, you know, I was incredibly afraid for a very long time of the idea of being non-monogamous. All those things are things that I have now come to, I don't identify as non-monogamous or poly, but it's something that's I've done and something that I've looked for therapists who can understand and I want to be a therapist that can understand it. In terms of being queer or bi or whatever I choose on any given day and kinky, like I have had to do some serious journey of self-acceptance to, to embrace those parts of myself. Like I didn't have a lot stacked against me to do it, but it was still hard as fuck. It's so weird what we pick up. It's so weird. It's so wild. That's better and less judgmental and more freeing. Um, what we pick up in the realm of like our sexuality when it comes to like our sexual preference, like gender, non-binary. This is, <laughs> we share a lot of similarities. That's all I'm going to say. So like, it doesn't matter the gender, just being able to be open to the person and the experience. And then like, so we walk through that. It's like coming out over and over again. Like we get to come out so many times. And so when it comes to the realm of kinky, there's so much stigma and judgment around it. Even if we aren't in those circles, somehow like through the air, it comes in and it seeps into our brain. It's so wild how that collective consciousness and shame works. So I totally understand the kinky side. So I would actually like to talk a little bit more about that journey. Um, like how, what supported you in coming more into that for people who are exploring, because it's becoming, since Fifty Shades of Grey, it's becoming more and more like households and people have no idea what they're doing. And so like, talk more into that, that aspect. I, so I'll tell you, I'll start with a story, which is the story of me being in sixth grade and having a friend of mine hand me a book um, and was like, read this, isn't this crazy? And it was this scene of, of sort of non-consensual forced sexual activity. And, but in the way that it was in a, you know, as they do in books and as you do, like, I just want to be clear, I am not advocating for non-consensual. And that's the thing with kink, right? Like, we're fucking with the the unpleasant things that exist in the world sometimes around consent and power and and all of that and we're taking it back uh to do it in a way that's consensual and healthy but anyway so i read this passage and i am so turned on sixth grade i get lost in the passage i look up at my friend 
and I have been transported to this place where I'm like turned on and I look at my friend and I realize that the reaction that I'm supposed to be having according to her face is that it's weird and gross and yucky and terrible. And so it takes me a minute to get back to that. Oh yeah, that's so weird. Like that was bad, man. Handing the book back. Um, so yeah, being turned on by power play and the exchange of power has been a long-term feature of my sexuality. Um, it used to look a lot like just just scaring vanilla people with like. Um, some sort of kinky instructions in the middle of sex. <laughs> uh, and I've come around to actually being able to talk about it before, sexual activity, sort of like, yeah, there, that has been a journey. It's been a journey, I would say the first 10 years of the journey were just accepting that it's okay to have the fantasies that I have. Yeah. Um, and then from there, it's still a journey, and I imagine it will still be a journey. It's kind of nice, right, to, yeah. to think, not like we arrive at a sexuality and then we're there. We get yeah. to experiment and decide what we like beyond that. And that's something that I really do love about you and my, like, getting to know you. It's like you're always reading, always open, always, like, um, knowing that you don't know everything and like really 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 enjoying this ride of exploring sexuality and pleasure which also is like exploring life and life's energy because it's all intertwined so i love that and i just wanted to let you know that oh thank you shauna that is maybe one of the best compliments that i could receive i feel very seen by that i love <laughs> learning and i want to be that kind of person so thank you Yes. And so you worked with, even before um, you were, you were like fully where you are now, the people that were drawn to you or that you were drawn to and working with client um, professional were like the non-monogamous couples or people and just kind of like working through that and working through those dynamics and where we currently both live, it is heavily, heavily um, a way of being here, non-monogamous polyamory. And so um, I want to ask, like, just kind of what have you seen in working in that dynamic? And also, like, what do you feel are some important things for people to know that are moving into? And then I have another question, but I'm going to save it for later. Ooh, okay, so let me slow down to make sure I get all the pieces. Um... I'm sorry. Can you give me a give me the pieces I'll, again? Yes, and I'll say yeah. it in a different way. So, what are you? What have you noticed in working with people who are non-monogamous and in polyamory? Like, what have you noticed that's been coming up that maybe be, can be a pattern of issue, challenge, or like beauty? And then, what are some of the things that you think would be important for people to know who are new to these dynamics? Mm -hmm. So. The thing that I'm sort of harping on, or maybe that's the wrong word, um, but I'm really juiced up by these days that I see over and over again in non-monogamy that I, I want to help people with is the idea that 
non-monogamy to be successful needs to be absent of feelings of jealousy or struggle or if you're having an issue with one partnership that it shouldn't affect the other or that there's like this um paradise like vision of how polyamory should be and i think that the the poly or non-monogamy um community in some ways unintentionally feeds that because they do talk a lot about all of the amazing things that can come from being non-monogamous. I think those things are very important. I think they're very real. And I think it's like they talk about it because a lot of people, their reaction to the idea of being non-monogamous is like, oh, no way. <laughs> it's a very strong negative reaction. I would never do that. Or they say things like, oh yeah, you know, I had some friends that tried that and it was like um, just the beginning of the end of their relationship. And Which can, can be talk true. About it. it can totally be true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just like knowing that you can go into, and I think this, this goes back to your question of sort of what do people know before they need to know before they try to get into that one it's a process it's not like you go from being a monogamous couple or a monogamous person to this perfect poly um you know i, I don't know a poly or non-monogamous couple that hasn't gone through stages or phases and i don't think they're necessarily linear you know there are people that are sort of like we can do whatever we want at first and then they sort of have to close back up in some ways or there are people that are like we're only gonna look to date one person together at a time and then they realize that doesn't work for them or that doesn't work for the other person so they end up doing something slightly different it's a it's a process it's not a destination it's a journey <laughs> let's go on this non-monogamous college journey it's gonna be a journey so this is great so I think that um, in what you were talking about, that whole like poly non-monogamy are the paradise. It's, it's, it's like what you've been missing from your relationships and why you've been struggling. This is the answer, right? And I think that a lot of, so I'm in this community, I'm like, we, we, we know. So um, it's like a lot of the people who do move into this are like in the spiritual community. So in that, they bring in the spiritual bypassing of like, this is all harmonious and blissful and nothing else exists. And if it does, then you're in your lower vibrations and blah, 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 shame, shame, shame. So can you talk more on that? <laughs> I know you got some stuff to say. Oh my gosh. Yes. Well, like, I know that we have both sort of uh, spiritual bypassing the worst um, and it is, a, it, that really bothers me. I think that like, let me try on my crotchety old man pants again and just say, I have grown up in Asheville my entire life nearly. Um, I, I feel like there is a type of person that I know and maybe I don't know them well and maybe I'm not giving them enough of the benefit of the doubt, but a type of spiritual person who is is dismissive of of very real um, 
dynamics of how you, you know, like we're talking about sovereignty. Um, I think being sovereign or being poly or being non-monogamous doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want without concern for other people. Um, maybe if that's a pre-negotiated, you know, like you're solo poly and you're, and you're like, Hey, any partner that I have, I want you to know, I'm never going to consider your feelings and any choices that I make. Is that a deal? And the other person's like, good deal. Great. Then I can see, um, how that could work for you. But, and so I don't know how much you know about, I think that this is a good example um, of how this has been a recurring theme in the poly community at large too, right? So more than two, the book by, I'm afraid I'm gonna mess his name up, Franklin Keel, I think. I haven't read and it. You haven't read it, okay. so there has been this whole reckoning online in um with some of his ex-nesting partners that has been sort of like hey uh you know this guy who's become a figurehead in the poly community to the people that he is most close with he's been irresponsible in relationships mm -hmm. um and and reading his book, you can kind of see how some of those values of like, if you're having a problem with your partner's partner, it's probably your fault. You know, it's probably not your problem. <laughs> and I am so paraphrasing and making this more simple. Um, but that the sort of like polyamory does not, <clears throat> let me slow down. Let me take a step back. Um, it's not a license to do whatever you want whenever you want to anyone you want yeah yeah i love your processing it reminds me of this image that i saw it was like <laughs> if you're polyamorous and you're in polyamorous relationships just make sure that everyone who's in these polyamorous relationships with you knows that you're polyamorous <laughs> like it's not it's not a ticket to just go do whatever you want and I think a lot of people first and foremost like speaking for myself personally like the reason that polyamory spoke to me so much all those years ago is because I found myself not wanting to commit like I had what people call commitment issues um I found myself wanting to try everything because I'm just like I'm like oh I want this now I want this um and it's fun and it's playful and it's innocent um, and also wanting to be able to have, like knowing that the belief of like, not every, not one person can meet all of the needs. Like my sexual desires may be way grander than my partner's or vice versa. I may like to have a butt plug in my ass and my partner to insert that. And they're like, no, I don't want to do that. So I'm not going to be like, no, you have to do this. Either A, we'll like renegotiate or figure out something or like B, like there, there's a space for someone else, you know? So there's so many ways that we can figure it out and work it out. Um, and like, for me, that's why I was kind of like looking for that and just like also being open. Cause I always like to question the norms, you know, like married, picket fence, kids, like that's never been something that I believed in. Um, and also like being queer, it just, 
you are already not in the norms anyways. But still, it's amazing, though, how even in being queer, we still fall into those relationship dynamics that are like societal norms. Um, and so it's interesting. I've kind of like journeyed through and come to so many different conclusions and restarted and like rediscovered and much like you. And so when is monogamy, like when is monogamy just like fucking okay? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Anytime you want. Anytime you want monogamy is okay. I, uh, I, I want to say to some of what I heard you say, because I've talked a lot about sort of other pieces to non-monogamy or polyamory, that there are so many gifts to it. Um, I really think it can be an amazing relationship structure to be able to get your needs met, to be able to connect with people in a way that undoes some of the toxicity of like, this is your one person and that should meet all of your needs. And now you're living happily ever after and it's fine. And, you know, just ignore that sexual urge that you have to have a butt plug because this person doesn't want to do it. So just forget about it. Um, I just want to say that those things are very important. And um, I'm currently in a monogamous relationship. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> so like, I, I think it's okay to, and we've had a, you know, I, I just, I will never again do monogamy by default. Yeah. I will always do, is this actually what we want? I want it to be an ongoing conversation what does monogamy mean? Does it mean like you're not flirting with other people or does it mean, you know, what do we specifically want out of monogamy? Um, yeah, I, for me in my own journey have just realized that at least where I'm currently at, um, non-monogamy is more feelings than I want to open myself up to at this time, yeah. you know? Yeah, I do know, I do know. And I love that you're in a monogamous relationship. And That's just cute. seeing that picture, you know, I was like, oh, Charlotte, oh my gosh. So excited, excited, excited. I think that There is so much freedom in monogamy. Like there is so much freedom that can come in monogamy. And I mean, being able to renegotiate, being able to define it in the relationship, like per each person, you know, I think that the monogamy by default that you spoke about and just like, I must live, I must be in this role and you must be in this role is what's sabotaged us relationally all along. But it's like to be able to consciously be in relationship and allowing each to flow in and out of whatever dynamic, but being able to communicate and love and have safety. Like, I feel like, like my heart is just like, I feel that like that has been what I've wanted all along. You know, that has been what I've been calling in all along. And then meeting these people and also where I was emotionally and mentally and like in my receiving and just relationally, like not meeting those things and thinking that I needed something else. Um, so there's definitely gifts in monogamy. I think it's very wild right now that like so many of us are kind of like moving in and out of that. It's like, okay, we've started, we, we tried, we tried and experimented over here 
now we're here and next month we may be back over here. Like that's the freedom of it, you know? Um, but there's so many people coming in and out of these different things. And so that leads me to wanting to talk about right now, what you're experiencing in your clients in like in your circles with sexuality, um, sexual expression, sexual connection during this pandemic that we're in during this crazy time of 2020. Can I, I want to address that and then can I, can I make up, can I pause for a second and just say that I think one of the gifts for me of all of these things of um, sort of going on a journey to figure out what being queer meant to me and being kinky and being non-monogamous was those conversations that you have before during and after relationship rather than being in default mode yeah. or um being on the relationship escalator that's one thing that i've really loved um challenging myself on it's like every person does not need to be either you know you date them and then you get monogamous and then you meet their parents and then you're having babies um and same thing with with sex it's like it doesn't need to look the way that we all sort of thought that it needed to look or the way that the movies show that it looks and yeah. yeah that's just i think an overarching theme throughout all of those identities for me is like it doesn't have to be the default you get to ask what you want and um talk about that with the other person absolutely thank you for dropping that in i know i like drop these bombs and I'm like, okay, now let's go here. And you're like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's a, it's a good flow. I did, that came up for me though. And I wanted to say it though. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, like how has 2020 impacted all of those things? My God, I don't even know. Um, that's not true. I'm sure I can put some words on it. I, it's just that 2020, I've been in a space in the last couple of days where things feel kind of heavy just between the pandemic and the upcoming election and the sort of um, just fears about what's happening for, for people. Um, so that's, that's going to be in my answer. It's not always in there. Um, so how has that affected what people are bringing? Well, I think one obvious answer is that if your relationships have been built around doing poly with a lot of different people or doing big kink events or sort of having a big queer community that you are always seeing, those things were majorly challenged or taken away, um, certainly during the very beginning of the shutdown. And I think pieces of it are coming back. I think that there are ways to responsibly engage with um, some of those things. There's like, you know, you can get tested and quarantine before, after, and just assess your own risk level for um, what it would mean to see people in person um, so some of those things are coming back piece by piece, but yeah, the, the, maybe not the identity pieces of I am poly, I'm kinky, I, whatever it is for you, 
those weren't taken away, but the actions the, that you did to support that identity was taken away. Um, I think that for a lot of my clients in that initial period of shutdown, that was sort of okay. It was like a struggle, but a sacrifice that was easy enough to make sort of based on the need in the moment. Uh, and then as time has gone on, people have struggled in different various ways with, it's like, it's not over. It's been six months. Um, what can I make work now? I think it was a shock to everyone. I mean, like just to have those events taken away is, is a huge deal. Um, and like you said, I hadn't thought about that. If that was like a part of y'all's juice and like the connection of the relationship and like how you really kept it alive. Let's say you've been together for 15 years, 10 years, five years, two years. And that's like something that you guys connect on together. Like that was just taken away. So then it's like, now how do we feel this? And I think that first and foremost, on an individual level, everything is shaken up. Like all of our identities, all the things that we've clung to, I really do think that those have been some of the gifts of 2020 more so than ever. And I mean, like in the spiritual community, that's kind of what you're looking for all the time. Um, and maybe that cease, but like for every single person that has happened, and then when I think about couples, it's like, not only is that happening on an individual level, it's happening like them and then like their partners and like however <coughs> largely their pod stretches out, you know? Um, and that has to be intense. And not a lot of people are doing therapy or have these things that they can do for processing because also some of those processing circles have been eliminated. Absolutely. I mean, this is not so much going on for me anymore, but a lot of the discussion in therapist circles that I was in at the beginning of, of the pandemic was sort of like, how, how are you doing with doing concurrent processing with people? Because you are also going through the same thing that they're going through at the same time they're going through it. Yeah. Sometimes it's a great gift to be go have gone through what your client is going through yeah. um, at some point in the past and you've processed it or you've thought about it from some space. But when people are telling you how incredibly anxious they are economically and you are trying to come from a place of support when just this morning you were feeling the exact same feelings, yeah. that is difficult. So yeah, it's for having every, your therapist, your polypod your everyone in the world going through those at the same time those feelings really um could be destabilizing so what have been some of the things that you've done personally to support yourself during this time um almost like thinking back because in some ways I feel like I've reached some equilibrium and flow with it to where I'm mostly okay uh, and sort of doing the things that I always do to help myself which is um, a lot of processing I've been uh, shocked to 
really learn and put words to as an adult how much thinking through and feeling through my feelings and asking myself what's going on with me is required to live my life. Um, yeah, it's like a feature of being Charlotte. I like to lay in bed for like 20 minutes and just stare at the ceiling and be like, what am I feeling? <laughs> Beautiful. Um, and I used to be like, well, that's a weird waste of time. And I'm like, no, that's essential to being a human being and a therapist. Yeah. Um, so always that I have my own helping professional who is a life coach. Um, I have my friends and family and people and learning and engaging with new ideas is important to me. Like you're talking about sort of always having something that I'm feeling curious about and asking questions about. Um, and there have been a lot of ways for me in which the shutdown was actually a gift that I that I really enjoyed the change in what happened with how I spend my time. Yeah. Um, I realized that I was spending a lot of time rushing around, um, trying to engage in a lot of social groups that I had that were not necessarily you know, like when there is just a certain amount of truth to like the more different pieces of time you're spending with people, the less deep they can go. So really um, making my bubble smaller and engaging more deeply with people was a nice feeling. Yeah. Not doing, you know, I have a daughter. We didn't, I didn't take her to school and then taekwondo and then with the bare bones of all the energy that we had left like make a frozen pizza um and watch some tv she was home with me and we engaged in school and that was a pretty like put a lot of energy into that it was required and i've talked a lot or not a lot, but I think a theme and what I've talked about is knowing your own wants and needs. Um, I can have a hard time with that when I compare myself or when I put myself up against others. I'm inherently concerned with filling their wants and needs and taking care of them. But when I get to make my own wants and needs as small as there's literally nothing else you can do, Charlotte, other than be like read a book you could take a bath, you could exercise, you could go for a walk. Which one of those four things do you want to do? Yeah. You know, yeah. and really getting to feel what I actually want um, versus like, oh, you said you'd go to this one event, but do you really feel like it? And there's this person that wanted to hang out and um, you're supposed to be planning this class for dance, which is another thing I was doing a lot of before the the pandemic struck. Yeah, I'm sort of, we gonna talk about it. Don't you worry. <laughs> I'm saying a lot of things there, but I hope that was cohesive at least some ways. Yeah, you gave the journey of like, 
what you've been pulling on right now and how your life has changed and the ways that you've like allowed things to shed. Like that was that was beautiful and cohesive and like where you're pouring your energy consciously. Yeah. yeah. So thank you for that. I think that um, for me personally, like I, I'm constantly with myself in the way in which you spoke of, like if I feel a pain in my body, I like go to it and I'm like, okay, you know, like what, what is here? What are, like I am, I am my own best friend. Like I am intimate with myself. And I believe that truly our relationship with ourselves is the mothership of all of our relationships. And I think that like this whole self love and self care thing is talked about so much, but like to fully embody it is to be with yourself in such a way that you wish that a lover would but like to be your own lover, you know? And then like, just imagine giving from that space to a lover and receiving from that space um, from a lover lake or lovers, you know? Um, I think that it's beautiful. So I think that it also makes a lot of sense, Charlotte, in just the way that my mind works, that now from the space in which you've gone through, you're open and in a monogamous relationship, you know? Like that whole trajectory makes so much sense to me. I have thought a good bit about what you're saying of sort of being your own lover and supporter and best friend recently. Um, I've been doing a lot of, I've been feeling nerdy about attachment style and how um, we can sometimes, there's like a childlike part of ourselves that wants the unconditional positive love and reassurance and needs met that we would get from a parent that was perfect. Nobody has a perfect parent, but that's, that's something that we're craving. And we sort of take those pieces and we look to partners and friends to fill them when really we should be asking ourselves first how can we fill that for ourselves and not put that level of expectation or need on another person? Um, not that you can't have expectations that need to be met, that's okay. But tenderly loving yourself no matter what you do is not a thing that you can expect of another person. Sometimes you're annoying and sometimes, <laughs> like, sometimes they have needs that are contrary to what your needs are. They're not there to serve you 100%. So like, yeah. you gotta figure out how to, how to do that for yourself. Yes, 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 yes. Oh my gosh. It's like, in that space, there's so much sovereignty. Like all of that, this is an underlying theme of our conversation as well as sovereignty. It's like, when I am my own lover and I am feeling myself like that are just like super curious with myself. It's like, if someone's gonna come into my space or I'm gonna choose to allow someone to come into my space, then they're gonna be adding to it. It's not just because I'm in this space of loneliness and desperation, you know? It's like, they're adding to my life and I really, really want them here. Like yeah, that's fucking exactly. powerful. It is. That is, that is sovereignty. <laughs> that is sovereignty. So my dancing friend, you are, were, is, became a professional belly dancer. Like, where are you with that? The way you're looking at me right now is. 
<laughs> you can feel free to clean up whatever I just said. But like, where are you with all of that right now? I'm sure I wasn't aware of what my face was doing, but I'm sure it was something in like, that's all shifted for me a lot. And it's still pretty kind of like raw and painful. Um, I, it would be like, a, I, this is my 10 year anniversary this year of beginning belly dance. And I'm 35. So I started when I was 25. Um, And that was, that was its own like chapter of journey in my life itself too, of just like discovering that I was really interested in learning a physical thing that I would put out there for other people to see and was able to really, I, I was so into it and it's such a loss at right now and one that I just have to accept like it just is that I'm really not into it right now um and that was something that was happen you know sort of what happens with or what happened anyway with my journey was like I was in a learning phase and I loved the learning and I loved the um the tangible gains like can you do this move well if you practice it enough now you can can you do this event can you win this competition and that all was like and now can you and then it became how much money can you make doing belly dance how much how many classes can you teach a week um what's the next step for you in not just learning learning but giving back to others and somewhere along that line, it just sort of stopped filling my cup as much as, um, as much as it had. And I'm grateful that the shutdown forced me to stop teaching and stop meeting with my troop and stop feeling like I had to be on this roller coaster where, um, you know, I had to be doing output for other people. I had to be making up choreographies for people to learn or classes that people wanted to take or um, doing gigs that, you know, it, like were not paying me nearly as much money as I was getting by being a therapist. Um, yeah. So currently where I'm at with that is I'm open to, to dance and performance in particular is something that I love. I'm open to that returning to my life in some way. Um, but I'm grateful that I had an event that was sort of forced me to ask the question of like, is this really working for you? And being like, no, kind of not. Thanks for sharing that. Wow. What a, what a year. And it's only almost September. <laughs> I know one day till September. Oh my gosh. So I want to touch on this and this is the last question that I have for you. I think that it's important and it keeps coming through for me, Charlotte, to ask you. So you mentioned when you were in the sixth grade, your friend handed you this 
this book and or this article it was a book and a book. You, you were reading it and she was like had this anticipation of you being so equally grossed out as she was but you were like enthralled and enticed and turned on and you learned something about yourself at that time there's a lot happening in the world right now coming out about child sex trafficking um sexuality around children the mistreatment around their sexuality um there's this organization that is men mostly that i am aware of that identify like grown-ass men that identify as younger and want to be able to have the ability to to play and have sexual relations with children of the actual age that they identify as. so there's a lot that's moving in this space and um it's imperative to have these conversations with children at the appropriate stage and i think that um because of like the parents and society and like where we grew up it's hard to have it has been hard in the past to have those much needed conversations um or we just tell the story of like the birds and the bees but we don't have like continuous ongoing conversations so i would love to know from you personally as a mother like how you've worked through that and how you're moving through all of this stuff that's coming out and then professionally like any advice that you have for parents or just society because in some way we all are parenting you know like we all have our responsibility in keeping children safe um so anything you want to share on that man yeah those are big and important questions um i appreciated uh, an opportunity to kind of engage with that and i just want to like ask for permission to not cover it all or get it all correct the first Absolutely. time i kind of try to say it um yeah so let me speak to to children and their sexual development first and just say i think it's so important to have that be an open honest ongoing conversation um starting with um just age appropriate at every level so starting with these are your private parts um these are the actual names for them the you know it's not okay for other people to ask to touch them or see them or to touch them and see them without your permission the doctor might want to do that but it's the doctor should ask you i should ask you um you know there's a conversation that we're having culturally now about um just consent around bodies in general is it okay to have your kids hug somebody at a family reunion when they don't want to no um you know encouraging children to check in with what they want and need to so those are the early conversations my daughter is 11 so having conversations about things like porn um you know there's that is easily enough accessible on the internet that kids are finding that somewhere from you know 9 to 13 is generally when they first come across some porn um of course it's very natural to be really turned on by that and want to see more of it and but turned on but nervous and not know who to talk to about it 
think setting up other adults in your kid's life that they can talk to is also important. Maybe they don't want to come to you and be like, I saw this video that was kind of turned me on, but was um, also creeped me out or whatever it is. Um, yeah, to teenage years sort of not doing the thing that parents have done for a long time of just completely turning a blind eye and pretending that most teenagers don't start engaging in sexual activity and um, having questions about or having conversations about um, more than just the risks of sex because that is sex education in our system is sex is scary sex um can result in pregnancy and stis and it's like yeah and there's all these other things that you should be learning too sex can be amazing and you have to be able to advocate for what you want and need you have to be able to know if it's something that you want to do um sex does not have to look like uh penetration of a vagina by a penis that ends when the person with the penis has an orgasm. That's not, doesn't need to be the definition of sex for you as a teenager or any time. Um, there are definitely still adults that need that lesson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's speaking to just helping kids develop a healthy sexuality. And you're kind of fighting, you're fighting the tide of of shame, cultural shame that we have about it, of not talking about sex and sexuality, of, uh, and then to this other piece that you were making of sexualizing children. And I think like being assigned female at birth and, and being pretty femme or like, uh, yeah, cis, I'm a cis woman for sure, um, have, grown up against the being sexualized starting at a young age from strangers and you can fucking tell you can tell when someone's looking at you that way um and it's uncomfortable and having those conversations um the part that i feel like i don't know as much about or wouldn't want to misstep in what i say is sort of has there been a rise in child sex trafficking or is it always just a thing that's been around and we are now aware of it um, more? We're having conversations about it. I feel ashamed to say, but the truth is I don't really know. And that's okay that you don't know. Yeah. I do know that piece. This piece right here is that there has Child sex trafficking, molestation, exploitation has always been around. And because of the pandemic and people being at home and children being at home, it has catapulted uh, beyond ever before. Yeah, I, so before becoming a sex therapist and starting a private practice, I worked a lot with kids um, and I worked a lot with kids not always, but often we're in a pretty 
struggling family system um, that doesn't necessarily include uh, sexual trauma, but I certainly work with adults that have experienced sexual trauma as kids. And um, yeah, it, it stands to reason that having those kids be home in that traumatic family system and not having the support of school has been, I'm sure, a thing that is going to reverberate for a long time. Um, definitely worked with a lot of kids who school was their safe place. And to not have that and not have community supports or um, just a way to get away from your family system. Very heavy. Yeah, it is. And I mean, we've been through the the realm of all the things on this on this episode, uh, but very specific to sexuality and the dynamics of relationship and like being able to have these conversations, you know. Um, and I'm very happy that we did speak on this piece because we are children before we're adults. And so the whole entire evolution of us and how sexuality and sexual expression moves is very important to be aware of and to be able to talk about so that we can have these conversations all the time as needed, you know, um, appropriately with children as needed to be able to create more of a safe haven and freedom. So thank you so much, Charlotte, for everything that you've shared and like your vulnerability and honesty and just who you are. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love the point that you just made of we are all children before we are adults and the integration of um, healthy childhood sexual development and um, and identity and autonomy is is crucial to healthy adult sexual development. Um, I think that's super important to say and think. Yeah. So how can people find you if they want to book some sessions with you or find out more about you? Where are you located on the interweb? On the internet, my website is roseandthornonline.com. My email address is help at rosenthornonline.com. People could email me. They can go through my website to set up a free consultation. It's 20 minutes. Um, it helps you feel like, feel out if we are a good fit for working together. Um, I can currently only work therapeutically with clients that live in North Carolina. I'm sort of working on um, having coaching programs around sex and sexuality that feel appropriate to offer to people outside of that. They feel like they're not therapy enough so that I can open, I can uh, open the radius of, of who I'm working with. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Yay. More people to receive your medicine. I want you to know, I don't think I've ever told you this, but at one point when I was in this relationship dynamic, that's just what we're going to call it now. Um, we were having a conversation. And I was like, my friend Charlotte could really support with this right now. <laughs> like, I, I was like, this is definitely like, I just knew that it was something. So definitely like, 
if you're in relationships and you're like you're feeling like you're getting stuck on a way to communicate or to express something i feel that charlotte is great for that if you're a single being moving throughout the world and just want to get like more in touch with all the things um around your sexuality your expression your emotions i feel like charlotte is great for that as well and is there anything else that you want to speak into of like your your like ideal person i know that's such a weird thing to say but no i i like those questions i and i do work with a variety of issues right like i work with folks that come to me i work with a lot of couples and individuals um and they're they don't all necessarily come to me and say i have a sex or sexuality issue it's just something that i am really uh have studied a lot and and come from um, a background of knowing how important it is to people, but I work with, it's funny, you, the, the people that tend to come to me are people that tend to struggle with the same things that I've struggled with, yes. which are a lot about anxiety, perfectionism, um, codependent tendencies, uh, attachment anxieties. Yeah. And so beyond all of the sex and sexuality things that people might be experiencing that they want to come to talk to me about, I would say those are some of the qualities that I work well with too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay, so please utilize Charlotte as a resource for you. She is an amazing, amazing professional. And you guys, thank you for tuning into this episode. Remember that you are holy, which means that you are whole. Remember that you are holy, which means you are of the divine. And remember that you are innocent, that no matter anything, nothing can take that away. You are pure. And always remember your sovereignty and that there are resources to get you back in alignment with the sovereignty if you do forget. And until next time, be blessed, be well, and take care. And that's a wrap on today's I Am Sovereign podcast. And remember, I am sovereign. I am sovereign. I am sovereign. And I choose sovereignty now. And so it is. Until next time, stay bold, stay powerful, stay in the truth. And if you feel called to work with me in the sovereign containers that I hold in the world, you can book a consult with me, a freedom breakthrough consult, and we can see if the 12-week sovereign initiation is the right track for you and i look forward to seeing you guys out there in the world on this sovereign path